0: Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, a.k.a. falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's a B-I-T dot L-Y slash Perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. All righty. Ooh, that was a heck of a last episode. I think I need another sip of this reading wine. mm Mm-hmm. Yep. That definitely makes it a little easier. Okay. Excuse me. Chapter 13 of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dr. Seward's Diary Continued. The funeral was arranged for the next succeeding day, so that Lucy and her mother might be buried together. I attended to all the ghastly formalities, and the urbane undertaker proved that his staff were afflicted or blessed with something of his own obsequious suavity. Even the woman who performed the last offices for the dead remarked to me in a confidential, brother-professional way when she had come out from the death chamber. "'She makes a very beautiful corpse, sir. It's quite a privilege to attend on her. It's not too much to say that she will do credit to our establishment.' I noticed that Van Helsing never kept far away. This was possible from the disordered state of things in the household. There were no relatives at hand, and as Arthur had to be back the next day to attend at his father's funeral, we were unable to notify anyone who should have been bidden. Under the circumstances, Van Helsing and I took it upon ourselves to examine papers, etc. He insisted upon looking over Lucy's papers himself. I asked him why, for I feared that he, being a foreigner, might not be quite aware of English legal requirements, and so might an ignorance make some unnecessary trouble. He answered me, I know, I know, you forget that I am a lawyer as well as a doctor, but this is not altogether for the law. You knew that when you avoided the coroner. I have more than him to avoid. There may be papers more, such as this. As he spoke, he took from his pocket book the memorandum which had been in Lucy's breast and which she had torn in her sleep. "'When you find anything of the solicitors who is for the late Mrs. Westenra, "'seal all her papers, and write him to-night. "'For me, I watch here in the room and in Miss Lucy's old room all night, "'and I myself search for what may be. "'It is not well that her very thoughts go into the hands of strangers.' "'I went on with my part of the work, "'and in another half-hour had found the name and address of Mrs. Westenra's solicitor "'and had written to him. "'All the poor lady's papers were in order.' Explicit directions regarding the place of burial were given. i had hardly sealed the letter when, to my surprise, Van Helsing walked into the room, saying, "'Can I help you, friend John? I'm free, and if I may, my service is to you.' "'Have you got what you looked for?' I asked, to which he replied. "'I did not look for any specific thing. I only hoped to find, and find I have, all that there was, only some letters and a few memoranda and a, new, and a diary new begun.' But I have them here, and we shall for the present say nothing of them. I shall see that poor lad tomorrow evening, and with his sanction I shall use some. When we had finished the work in hand, he said to me, And now, friend John, I think we may to bed. We want sleep, both you and I, and rest to recuperate. Tomorrow we shall have much to do, but for the tonight there is no need of us, alas. Before turning in, we went to look at poor Lucy. The undertaker had certainly done his work well, for the room was turned into a small chapelle ardente. There was a wilderness of beautiful white flowers, and death was made as little repulsive as might be. The end of the winding sheet was laid over the face. When the professor bent over and turned it gently back, we both started at the beauty before us, the tall wax candles showing a sufficient light to note it well. All Lucy's loveliness had come back to her in death and the hours that had passed, instead of leafing traces of decay's effacing fingers, had but restored the beauty of life, till positively I could not believe my eyes that I was looking at a corpse. The professor looked sternly grave. He had not loved her as I had, and there was no need for tears in his eyes. He said to me, "'Remain till I return,' and left the room. He came back with a handful of wild garlic from the box waiting in the hall, but which had not been opened.' and placed the flowers amongst the others on and around the bed. Then he took from his neck, inside his collar, a little gold crucifix and placed it over the mouth. He restored the sheet to its place and we came away. I was undressing in my own room when, with a a premonitory tap at the door, he entered and at once began to speak. Tomorrow I want you to bring me, before night, a set of post-mortem knives— "'Must we make an autopsy?' I asked. "'Yes and no. I want to operate, but not as you think. "'Let me tell you now, but not a word to another. "'I want to cut off her head and take out her heart. "'Ah, you, a surgeon, and so shocked! "'You, whom I have seen with no tremble of hand or heart, "'do operations of life and death that make the rest shudder. "'Oh, but I must not forget, my dear friend John, that you loved her, "'and I have not forgotten it, "'for it is I that shall operate, and you must only help.' I would like to do it tonight, but for Arthur I must not. He will be free after his father's funeral tomorrow, and he will want to see her, to see it. Then when she is coffined ready for the next day, you and I shall come when all sleep. We shall unscrew the coffin lid and shall do our operation, and then replace all, so that none know, save we alone. But why do it at all? The girl is dead. Why mutilate her poor body without need? And if there is no necessity for a post-mortem and nothing to gain by it, no good to her, to us, to science, to human knowledge, why do it? Without such it is monstrous. For answer he put his hand on my shoulder and said with infinite tenderness, Friend John, I pity you, your poor bleeding heart, and I love you the more because it does so bleed. If I could, I would take on myself the burden that you do bear but there are things that you do not, but that you shall know. And bless me for knowing, though they are not pleasant things. John, my child, you have been my friend now many years, and yet did you ever know me to do any without good cause? I may err, I am but man, but I believe in all I do. Was it not for these causes that you send for me, when the great trouble came? Yes. Were you not amazed, nay horrified, when I would not let Arthur kiss his love, though she was dying? and snatched him away by all my strength? Yes. And yet you saw how she thanked me, with her so beautiful dying eyes, her voice too so weak, as she kissed my rough old hand and blessed me? Yes. And did you not hear me swear promise to her, that so she closed her great eyes grateful? Yes. Well I have good reason now for all I want to do. You have for many years trust me, you have, believed me, weeks past, when there be things so strange that you might have well doubt. Believe me yet a little, friend John, if you trust me not, then I must tell what I think, and that is not perhaps well. And if I work, as work I shall, no matter trust or no trust, without my friend trust in me, I work with heavy heart and feel, oh, so lonely, when I want all help and courage that may be. He paused a moment and went on solemnly. Friend John, these are strange and terrible days before us. Let us not be two, but one, that so we work to a good end. Will you not have faith in me? I took his hand and promised him. I held my door open as he went away and watched him go into his room and close the door. As I stood without moving, I saw one of the maids pass silently along the passage. She had her back towards me, so did not see me and go into the room where Lucy lay. The sight touched me. Devotion is so rare, and we are so grateful to those who show it unasked to those we love. Here was a poor girl putting aside the terrors which she naturally had of death to go watch alone by the bier of the mistress whom she loved, so that the poor Clay might not be lonely till laid to eternal rest. I must have slept long and soundly, for it was broad daylight when Van Helsing waked me by coming into my room— "'He came over to my bedside and said, "'You need not trouble about the knives. "'We shall not do it.' "'Why not?' I asked, "'for his solemnity of the night before had greatly impressed me. "'Because,' he said sternly, "'it is too late, or too early. "'See!' "'Here he held up the little golden crucifix. "'This was stolen in the night.' "'How stolen?' I asked in wonder, "'since you have it now.' "'because I get it back from the worthless wretch who stole it, "'from the woman who robbed the dead and the living. "'Her punishment will surely come, but not through me. "'She knew not altogether what she did, "'and thus unknowing she only stole. "'Now we must wait.' "'He went away on the word, "'leaving me with a new mystery to think of, "'a new puzzle to grapple with. "'The forenoon was a dreary time, "'but at noon the solicitor came, "'Mr. Marquand of Holman, Sons Marquand and Litterdale.' He was very genial and very appreciative of what he had done, and of what we had done, and took off our hands all cares as to details. During lunch he told us that Mrs. Westenra had for some time expected sudden death from her heart, and had put her affairs in absolute order. He informed us that, with the exception of a certain entailed property of Lucy's father, which now, in default of direct issue, went back to a distant branch of the family, the whole estate, real and personal, was left absolutely to Arthur Homewood. When he had told us so much, he went on. Frankly, we did our best to prevent such a testamentary disposition and pointed out certain contingencies that might leave her daughter either penniless or not so free as she should be able to act according to matrimonial alliance. Indeed, we pressed the matter so far that we almost came into collision, for she asked us if we were or were not prepared to carry out her wishes. Of course, we then had no alternative but to accept. We were right in principle, and ninety nine times out of a hundred we should have proved, by the logic of events, the accuracy of our judgment. Frankly, however, I must admit that in this case any other form of disposition would have rendered impossible the carrying out of her wishes. For by her predeceasing her daughter, the latter would have come into possession of the property, and even had she only survived her mother by five minutes, her property would, in case there were no will, and a will was a practical impossibility in such a case. "'have been treated as her decease as under intestacy. "'In which case, Lord Godalming, though so dear a friend, "'would have had no claim in the world, "'and the inheritors, being remote, "'would not be likely to abandon their just rights "'for sentimental reasons regarding an entire stranger. "'I assure you, my dear sir. "'I assure you, my dear sirs, "'I am rejoiced at the result, perfectly rejoiced. "'He was a good fellow, "'but is rejoicing at the one little part "'in which he was officially interested.' Of so great a tragedy was an object lesson in the limitations of sympathetic understanding. And that is an excellent place to pause chapter 13, because otherwise I have to read for like a really long time. So, catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.